Greetings, friends. My name is Jessa McLean, and I'm here to provide you with some blueprints of disruption. This weekly podcast is dedicated to amplifying the work of activists, examining power structures, and sharing the success stories from the grassroots. Through these discussions, we hope to provide folks with the tools and the inspiration they need to start to dismantle capitalism, decolonize our spaces, and bring about the political revolution we know we need. Greetings, audience. Uh, This is certainly a unique episode of Blueprints of Disruption, a deeply personal one for me. If any of you follow me on Twitter, you'll know that the Ontario NDP has launched an attack on me. A pretty uh, unsubstantiated, grasping at straws, defamatory sort of attack. But either way, here we are. And although I was asked to keep this nonsense confidential and quiet, I think we all know that's just not my style, nor does that serve transparency or democracy any good. So I'm here today to kind of walk you through folks through my NDP story. So this episode is going to be a little bit of a therapy session. I've been joined by my wonderful comrades, Jay Woodruff, and my comrade and producer, Santiago Hulu Quintero. And they're going to help me just probably emotionally get through this episode, try to keep me on track. Maybe they'll ask some questions, some folks you are wondering yourself. Either way, I'm going to start off by explaining how we got here. Um, Why? It'll help folks understand why I'm under attack by the NDP. I have been for some time. This is just kind of an escalation of tactics. And I think it will mirror many of your experiences within the party on how I entered this partisan space how I was treated as a socialist and a dissenter, and how I feel about the party now. Although I'm extremely stressed out about this kind of attack, despite distancing myself from the party, I'm going to go through it with you all anyway, um, because I want this to serve as like that final warning to folks. Um, They absolutely will do this to you. Uh, There's nothing terribly unique about my experience except for Perhaps I have shouted the loudest, maybe the longest about how awful this party is. I really don't know. But uh, either way, here we go. I just want, yeah, I want to make a note. Like, I'm not the first person and I won't be the last person. We've had plenty of public stories come out of mistreatment. In fact, we've dedicated quite a few episodes here on Blueprints of Disruption that have amplified some of those stories. I hope maybe some of you will remember them, if not. They're easy to find wherever you're listening to this episode. You will find them. They're usually prefaced with inside the NDP. They'll help fill in a lot of the gaps that we won't go through in this hour. But uh, essentially, I've given you little tidbits of my story throughout, but I've never really told it in full. I've never come out here and asked for a whole lot of solidarity or defending, despite so many blows by this party. Um But I do think it's time that I kind of tell my entire story. And like I said, it'll explain where where we've gotten to. All right. So how did I join the NDP? I've been a longtime member. I mean, I've got some really rumpled up 
membership card with <laughs> still has Andrea's face on it, but shit, I got it when I was a teenager. So yeah, it's, I was brought up in a real leftist household. My dad was a waffle member. I don't have the time to get into those stories, but he likely understands my experience. We'll say that. I wasn't very involved with the party until I moved up here out of the city, and I absolutely needed to connect with politically-minded people. Right? I just left university for political science, where I had been even more radicalized and was determined to organize um, and, and push this country left by any means necessary. And I got my feet wet in my local campaign, a provincial campaign for Dave Selassie in York Simcoe. I uh, emailed them because their Twitter account hadn't updated anything for the campaign. And if there was one thing that I knew, it was Twitter. And so I was like, hey, you know, the least I can do is I'll run your Twitter account. I'll help boost your boost your signal. That's all I intended to do. You know, it was kind of it was a, it was a lame offer. But I went in and I started helping. And like any small campaigns, you'll know there was everybody in there was wearing four or five hats. So uh, long story short, I do as I always do when I get into spaces, I do the work that needs doing. No questions asked. And uh, I end up managing that campaign when the campaign manager bailed. And uh, we did very well. We challenged Carolyn Mulrooney and I was hooked on political campaigns. There was nothing else for me. I loved the excitement of E-Day the frazzled nature of small campaigns and everybody trying to do everything. And I absolutely love the possibility of going out into conservative territory and talking socialism with these people. I wasn't really able to do that as freely on that campaign, but very soon I ran as a federal candidate in a by-election. That by-election was just me and Jagmeet. Right? He was running in Burnaby and I was running here in Ontario. So no one was watching my campaign, right? Nobody. But I had a lot of support from outside the province and within the province. And, you know, my EDA was very supportive. They encouraged me to run. And at the time, the party, they encouraged me to run. I know a lot of you candidates out there have gotten that call from people talking you up, telling you how great you will be as a candidate. Um, Jay, I know you had the same pitch thrown at you. Um, maybe didn't turn out the same, yeah. But um, that was fun. And I ran and I did really well. I was able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with conservatives. We raised $20,000 in one night in a, in a writing that that would have been our record spending. And um, we just blew that out of the water. And you know the only phone call that I ever fucking got during that whole campaign was when I tweeted out about Venezuela. <laughs> That's when I knew the party was just not the party I thought it was in. Rather than trying to call me and support me and give me a pep talk, or I had the national director, Melissa Bruno, call me right before my very first debate. So I have chronic anxiety. I am throwing up. I am sweating. I am so nervous. And my phone rings and it's the NDP. And all they wanted to do was chew me out for taking a stand against their god-awful position on Venezuela and the attempted coup. And I let them fucking have it. They thought I, I'm a first-time candidate. They didn't know me from boo. 
And I just gave it right back to Bruno. And I, I think at that point, they just knew I was a problem. But I wasn't having it. I told them they were wrong. Their position was wrong. I don't care if it's causing bad press. And I know some of you out, out there don't appreciate my style, that perhaps that isn't politically savvy of me. But <laughs> for all the other people who actually know me, they know that I am so principled. And I take a position. I take what I think is the right position, not the popular position. And that doesn't make me any friends inside of partisan spaces, I'll tell you that. Not many. That, I feel like that was a dig at you two. I've made some really good friends too. <laughs> so yeah, um, I'll walk that back a bit. But either way, I run, I run a good campaign. Like I said, we, we raised record money. We had great numbers. And I didn't get one thank you phone call. And this is normal for candidates, yeah. Again, my story's not all that unique. But I'm... I'm now a realist when it comes to the party, but I run again. <laughs> Don't ask me why. It's very complicated. I, that's a whole other episode probably, but I ran again. Nobody else in my riding would do it, and I wouldn't have a paper candidate. I guess that's the real, if we want to boil it down. I had built a movement here in York Simcoe. We had doubled our EDA. We had gotten people excited about real leftist policies and politics and grassroots organizing in this conservative territory. And I didn't want to let that go, but I knew it was in store for me. But I ran by myself. I managed my own campaign. That's what it's like out here, you know, where we have no supports and uh, people don't think we can win. And um, I doubled the vote share running as an open socialist again on bare bones, bare bones campaign. So despite being really good at what I do, all I ever got from the party was pushback and hostility. So I thought I'd go in and change it up a bit. Right? I wasn't going to stand for this. This was my party. This was my dad's party. This was the left's party, the workers' party. I wasn't just going to be like, oh, these, this space sucks. I'm leaving. These, this is stressful. And it is stressful. Again, the toll on my mental health has been great. But uh, I walked into my very first Ontario NDP convention. I took the whole family to ha Hamilton. I couldn't be without my kid. We all went. Uh, first time delegate, rookie. And I meet all these great people, especially from Hamilton and Ottawa Centre. They just came to me. like It's like they knew me, I guess, from my tweets. or I don't really know how they knew me. I guess people had been paying attention and I didn't know. Right? And these folks, they they were up until like 2 a.m. They convinced me to run for member at large. Like I had no idea how the process worked at all. They they took care of everything for me. They I didn't even know them. And I'll tell you, like I remember so I just have photographs. It was just such a blur. And true to my form, as always, last minute campaign literally formed on the floor at the end of day one. And uh it was just a protest campaign, like all my campaigns, just just telling them you, you're not paying attention to the grassroots. You're not trying to change the narrative. You're just trying to win an election. Our job is so much more than that. And that really resonated with people because like we had no campaign and I came within 11 votes of making it onto the executive. And if anybody understands internal NDP elections, those members at large, the VP slots, all of those executive slots are set. 
the establishment knows exactly who they want in there. So anytime you can mount any kind of challenge to them, I think I'm going to toot my own horn. It, it was impressive. But I think it the reason it works is because so many people out there are so fucking frustrated with this party that what I was speaking was just pure truth and they voted for it. But I didn't make it on and I might be better off that I didn't because from the stories that we've shared here on, on Blueprints of Disruption, we know that those executives are absolutely toxic spaces. Another fun tidbit there, our current interim leader. He was a real friend of my writing. He had gone door to door with me. Peter Tabins had helped open my campaign office. Uh, incredibly supportive prior to that. <laughs> and um, I asked him because he had been so close during my campaign if he would endorse me. And he openly told me I was far too radical for him to stand beside me on the floor. So that's what politics does to people. He's, he's not alone in that either. I, I apologize for kind of centering Peter out there. But yeah, that is quite typical. And I think like by the time I get to this part of my story, maybe a, a few of you have caught up, like maybe that's when you started following my story a little bit on your own. But I ran for the federal president near the beginning of the pandemic. And I did that uh, encouraged by my new Democrat family. We'll kind of go into that later because they've been dragged into this sordid tale. And they made it as hard as possible for me in that campaign. I was given no information, no membership lists, no even confirmation that I had registered. They gave me details on the length of speech I could provide and what kind of format it would be all last minute, all last minute, just trying to be as difficult as possible. And again, <laughs> this was a two-week campaign and we got 33% of the vote because I got on the floor and I spoke the truth about almost every riding, riding association's experience of being neglected, of campaigns being ruined, candidates being blocked, and folks had had enough. Um, we were shocked with the result, right? In all of these campaigns that I have ever run in the party, the one thing that is that that runs through all of them, the thread that runs through all of them is I never did it to win. And it shocked me. We interviewed Dimitri Lascaris on this show in an episode called Wasted Energy, which really rings true right now. Um, and I asked him that question, like, did you run to be the leader of the Green Party to win? And I thought for sure he'd say yes, because he came so close. It, it was close. Like, that was a that was a legitimate campaign. I felt like mine was just a the the opportunity, I just wanted the opportunity to be able to say on the floor of convention what everyone had been saying to one another, what we had all been complaining to one another for for so long. Just nobody had ever said it really like out loud to their face, except for the Socialist Caucus. And we know how they're treated. But, you know, they do speak truth. No one likes their tactics, but those are truths. And they've been trying to tear down the bureaucracy for years to their credit. Um, that's all the credit I'll give them right now. <laughs> You know, and silly me, I try to do this again for the Ontario NDP run for president. You know, I'll be honest, the results there were, were not very good. I think it was like 11 percent. I did very poorly. Um, I guess I, I did. It was, again, just there's so much change that's needed in this party and people just keep trying to do it through all these different means. And I thought one of those would be to shape the executive. 
or at least to bring these issues to light to the members as a mass in hopes that they would reform themselves. I was wrong. I was wrong. That party isn't ready for change. So I, I told that story, one, because I don't think I've ever, you know, kind of gone through it. But also because people keep asking me, why does the party attack you? Why would they do that? You know, um, why are you so combative with them? And I think it helps folks to see my progression and my dedication through the party and that that it's just been resistance at every turn. And I, I know that can resonate with some folks out there, but um, I hope if it doesn't, you guys can try to imagine what that must feel like to advocate within a progressive party, a party that's supposed to be built on fairness and equity and to just feel nothing but pushback, right, for you trying to change things. When I say I'm under attack, what's that mean? Because I know not everybody's going to have read the letter. So Santiago, maybe you can help me kind of walk through the letter and explain it to folks. Like, <laughs> I don't know, maybe you could summarize like what it is from a more, a less personal perspective. There's a word that comes to mind that describes the letter pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's bullshit is what it is. Um, sorry that I don't have a, a more eloquent description right now. I just, I want to start with that because it, it, it is what it is. The letter was the, uh, their, the NDP's best attempt at uh, putting together a smear against you. And I say the best attempt because having read the letter, I, I'd say it falls quite short. They didn't have anything substantial at all, not even remotely. And a lot of the claims were, were quite a stretch to say the, the very least. I'm going to try to objectively kind of give you folks a rundown. Now, I'm not going to sit and read the whole letter. I mean, it's 12 pages of a PDF. It is on my Twitter account, watermarked all over the place, confidential. Please don't share this. <laughs> um, I don't operate that way. And these folks aren't going to drag me behind closed doors and try to rake me over the coals. So that's why I tweeted it out. But let's run through it just so you we can set the stage because then we're going to tear it apart. I'm going to respond to it. I'm not going to respond to it in the way that they want me to respond to it, you know, by, I don't know, November 21st uh, via respect at OntarioNDP.ca. Um, I'm going to do it in the way that feels comfortable for me, that allows me to express myself. So basically, they've launched an investigation. And this is really rich. The administrative committee, whatever the fuck that is, has given the subcommittee, they've created a subcommittee to investigate the following. All right. And so that's when we get into a list of tweets, essentially, that they don't like. One of them depicts a meme that they claim is anti-Semitic. Again, I have posted all of this on my Twitter for full disclosure for folks to see that. From the discussions that went around as after I released this, 
you know, um, people did some digging on the meme format and apparently it does have some really obscure reference that not one of my Jewish comrades that approached me had known off the bat. It required an intense amount of research to get to that. So clearly the same trope that's been used against the left to say that I'm anti-Semitic, a known advocate for Palestine within the party. This is not my first time that they've thrown that at me. But uh, so apparently that tweet uh, is what launched the initial investigation. And clearly since then, they have been monitoring my Twitter account. Now, I'm not an MPP. I'm not an elected uh, executive of the party. I resigned from my EDA. So I'm not even what you would consider an active member, but they have been monitoring my Twitter account. And uh, I think it serves a good purpose here to like mention a few of them because like, like Santiago said, they're all very ridiculous. Um, so for all of the tweets that they've sent me, they've demanded I answer certain questions, very pointed questions about whether or not I think it violates their harassment policy. Things like, yes, the system is rotten. Of course, replacing key folks won't solve it all. But how do you start to reform a system while the controllers remain at the helm? Dug in. You don't. You clean house first. You know, can you please advise whether you believe your conduct aligns with the objective of the policy? This repeats itself over and over again. Again, all public, you can read it. But they're essentially my valid critiques of the party. I occasionally use language that you hear on the podcast. Yes, I use the F word in some of my tweets. Um, some of them are very pointed to individuals like Lucy Watson. I say, Lucy Watson can't figure out how to make their meetings accessible. Fire her. I mean, I stand by that statement. <laughs> Jay. How many times have we said that publicly? I think we've even said it in provincial council and nobody nobody wrote us up for this. The thing that's interesting about that tweet is this committee that launched this investigation would have met on Zoom. So they can find the accessibility for themselves, but not for members. And you call that out and that's a violation. Yeah, another irony about this committee that we didn't bring up, but Jay, thank you. Um, we've talked to three executives on the Ontario NDP, and none of them are, were aware that this committee was being struck or um, that it was, you know, they had no involvement in its initiation, which makes it kind of sound like a bit of a secret committee, which, to my knowledge, isn't terribly democratic, but... Um, I mean, you guys can decide that for yourself. Just for some information, the administrative committee is said to be made up of party officers and the national director, but we don't know the actual list of people who take part in this. This is a subcommittee of the executive, and the administrative committee, which we don't know the roster of, strikes the not just the anti-harassment committees and stuff like that but any number of committees that they want and their work is confidential for the most part from the executive 
which is struck by council, so the executive doesn't know how to report to council on the subcommittees that it strikes. So just to add a little bit of detail to the administrative committee and the process in which this investigation was created, as deep in the shadows as you can be. It sounds scary. It's not really. It's three vice presidents. I'm going to name them because they had the audacity to put their names on this letter and send it to me. And I feel harassed by them. So maybe I should launch a complaint. I don't know. Either way, Vice President Susan Barkley, Ali Chatur, and Alex Felsky are the subcommittee tasked with investigating my online conduct. Now, how does that feel? I mean, Santiago, I know, I don't know if you're still a member or whatnot, but I'm going to put that to both of you folks just for a second. How does that make you feel thinking that the party might be monitoring your Twitter account? taking screenshots, building a file. I mean, for one, it pisses me off that that's what they're wasting their time doing when members are begging them to do something, anything else in this moment. I mean, it's an entire, it's a complete waste of time when there was, as far as I know, virtually no messages to do with the potential general strike that almost happened, everything that was everything that we've been going through in this last week with a leadership race coming up. This is what they're using their time for. This is what they're wasting, wasting the donations and money and time doing it. I mean, it's an absolutely ridiculous thing to do. And quite frankly, with all of the issues that members bring up constantly, you would think that, you know, it should be quite the opposite. There have been so many complaints against members of the executive, yet there never seems to be an investigation against them. And, I mean, it's very clear why, but that's just what comes to mind right now. I'm I'm laughing so hard at what you just said, Santiago, because what are the two things this party continuously say? We don't have enough money. We don't have enough people. Is that because they're too busy investigating and monitoring members? Also, it's important to note, what are their affiliations with the federal level? Because one of those names is someone who is supposed to be focused on the Team Jigmeet. So it's interesting that the resources of two parties were used to go and investigate some tweets about you calling out how this party operates poorly. <laughs> it's just, when when we look at the actual, see, on, if you read the letter and you just read it and judge it based on what it is, you don't actually realize how every single thing in that letter is what you have called them out for doing for years. So it's like, hey, you know what we should do? We should try to smear her smear her while actively validating everything she has criticized. I do feel very validated. <laughs> They're punishing you for being accurate. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's my issue there. Like, you know, folks are like, are you worried they'll do this and that? And I'm like, they can't hurt me. I don't give a shit about their membership card at all. They can have it. I mean, I say that lightheartedly and I really don't care about my membership card. But I do care that they're going to do this to the next person and the next person and the next person. And that's just going to become the norm um, when you get too feisty within the party and they don't like what you have to say. They will do this. Um, you guys brought up two They've things. been doing this. Yeah, no. Definitely. I have seen this happen to so many people and it's definitely not even their first attempt at me. So none of this surprises me. Two things you guys brought up remind me, like, that's what you guys are going to do throughout this. Like, remind me of all these tangents that are essentially tied together. But uh, both you kind of mentioned the proximity to the Ontario leadership run and the fact that they've been digging, clearly been digging through my Twitter account, almost in an effort to pre-disqualify me. Um, full disclosure, I had no intent. And Jay, Jay, if there's anyone who knows this so clearly, because Jay has asked me about a kajillion times to run, um, and I never really even considered it. I didn't even humor Jay for very long <laughs> um, at all. It, it, it was not in my cards, but I can see how they thought it might be. You know, um, I'm clearly not happy with Merit. uh being anointed. She's not my idea of a socialist or anybody that will reform the party. And I've said as much, but, um, it seems strange that they were going through my Twitter account in this time that you say they should be so busy doing this, that, and the other thing. But we have, what we have to remember about this party is holding on to that inner circles power is always been their number one priority, not winning elections, not even looking good because this makes them look so bad. They are predominantly occupied most of the time with maintaining their own power. So I think this was a blend of making sure there was no chance I could run for leadership of the Ontario NDP because we have to remember Lucy Watson, the person who's 100% behind most of this, um, gets final say on who gets to run and who doesn't. Another huge factor why a lot of there are almost no grassroots member that will attempt to run because they can likely only expect something like this, you know. Uh, and the other point, Santiago, you know, you talked about complaints, harassment complaints, detailed accounts of nomination meetings being so sus, right? Folks with receipts. Folks who've emailed them, launched formal complaints, gone public, you name it, you know, um, from slighted MPPs and the executive, those wonderful people that said that they would lead this party never investigated any of it. Their current president of the ONDP and the current president of the federal NDP sat through conventions where members just constantly called out all of these internal democratic issues with the party, issues of harassment and oppression. And they didn't investigate one thing, not one thing, right? Not one of those claims around any of those nomination meetings ever got investigated, but a subcommittee can be launched to investigate a single member 
and what they consider hostile tweets to other members. Uh, just because I, I, I don't know the answer to this. Um, out of all the tweets that they pulled up, which one of them is the most recent? Like, are they particularly recent at all? It would have been the petition ones. Or the remove people one. And when would that have been? September. It's November right now. The timing of it begs the question, right? Yeah, they've spent considerable time digging. Because if we go back to the original meme that they lead off the complaint with, I mean, that's two years old. And then we have things as recent as you know, the end of the summer here in 2022. Yeah, but with that that original tweet from two years ago, they like to keep receipts for later. So I doubt this committee even investigated it. They just had it presented to them as an issue, took the word of the issue or made the issue apparent. Because there are people who ran um, four years ago and then for this um, campaign, they were like, oh, no, because you have um, podcast episodes that are bad, but they removed those podcast episodes like four years ago because the party asked them to remove it in order for them to run. So they're rejecting people based off of receipts that are from like four years ago. Yeah, well, that's that's typical, too. So folks who listen to our episode on the candidate search and all the problems around that, if you want to run for the NDP um, as a candidate for MP or MPP, you need to subject yourself to uh, an intense level of scrutiny. I'm not fucking running for anything. There's no reason they should be looking through my Twitter account. So yeah, when you run for candidate, you actually have to upload your entire profile. People have to give up their dating profiles, everything. Your private messages from Facebook are given to them. And that's their reason for taking so long on a lot of vetting is because they go through this. So I want people to understand that your donations, all those letters that you get to meet a certain deadline to help Team Jag meet, this and that, those donations are being spent clearly on combing through the social media of its own people. Like we saw in BC how they turned on folks advocating for more leftist politics policies, eco-socialists in BC, the smear campaign, called them thugs. That's the same right across the province. That is how they view the grassroots as a threat. And that's how they treat us. But they are spending those resources. We have such limited resources compared to the other parties, and we are spending it on policing within our own party, tone policing, making sure the provincial director isn't facing any calls to have her fired. That's one of the other items that they really bring up that they try to come after me for is a petition. So I didn't call Jay on here to kind of scapegoat him. But anybody who links themselves to that petition can see that Jay Woodruff is the author. And yet in this letter to me, they demand to know whether I started that. Like talking about attacking my freedom of association, right? Like because Jay did something, I'm involved in it. You know, <laughs> you're always getting me in trouble, Jay. It's easy to do. Well, let's be clear. Like this petition calls on Lucy Watson to be fired. And I 100% stand by the petition. I shared the petition. I signed the petition. I think the names were public. Quite a few people signed that. So I guess beware. Um, they take uh, some offense to folks using their name 
on a petition that's addressed to them. I, I don't know what to do with that. Either way, that's my response to the whole petition thing. I mean, Jade, you want to do you want to promote the petition? We can always link it in the show notes. I think covering the absurdity of these things is very important because in the letter that you shared, the screenshot that they use as evidence for the petition has the word author and Jay Woodruff. So to ask you if you authored it, well, you provided me evidence that has the author's name. Second of all, why does that petition exist? Because the director or secretary, depending on the province you're in, the national director, the provincial director, or provincial secretaries are non-elected, they're non-union, they are employed at the will of the council. So, as council members, we can vote to remove them. I tried to have a motion added to the agenda of a council meeting that called for a vote to determine if if council still wanted the director that we had. So, of course, the director-controlled executive, which has secret committees wouldn't acknowledge it. So what I did is I do what any organizer does, and I emailed all the executives. So what happened is they got angry that I had found their emails, and they launched an investigation because a member contacted the executive to say, stop preventing this motion from being tabled. Look, I have a petition. That shows you how many people want this motion tabled. Stop blocking it. It has yet to be tabled, and now they are punishing people for their association, for promoting it or signing it. And here's the thing. They went after you for sharing it before they went after me for authoring it and for doing the horrible violation of contacting our executive. So... It's also important not just to say, oh, because there was a petition, but why that petition existed in the first place makes this even more absurd because the petition exists for them blocking member rights and you are in violation of something. I mean, even just the notion that a petition is in any way a problem. I mean, the literal name of the party is New Democratic Party, right? Like, uh, I'm sorry that we're expecting there to be some sort of level of democracy here. A petition is not even a vote. I mean, it's like, it's essentially a strongly worded letter, right? Like, come on. The fact that there can be no possible interpretation where petition is in any way grounds for any sort of investigation to conduct. I mean, come on. The idea of that I take such issue with. It's so ridiculous. If Santiago takes issue with that, I want to get his reaction on how they first came after you for that petition and us, right? Like I'm always, you're always, again, I'm always getting painted with everyone's brush, but um, they called us anti-worker because we were trying to get the most senior fucking management person fired who's not even a member of the union. Somehow they got that union to come out and issue a letter, like, in her defense. I mean, they started going on about some graphic and playing semantics on how we said, you know, can can the members fire staff? And they're like, you're anti-worker. 
And literally, like, these are folks with dozens of harassment complaints collectively against them. And we were anti-worker for calling them out. Because this last week showed that the NDP is particularly pro-worker, right? Because they did so much this past week to support workers, right? Fuck off. Don't even get me started about the ONDP and workers. So I've had... See, here's the thing. That history that I gave you, all those times I was like super public, complaining about the party. Well, that made me a little bit of a beacon of sorts, right? Endless people. And from MPs, MPPs, to grassroots members, to labor relations folks that work with the NTP, I have all their stories, the riding associations, the blocked candidates, the former staffers, the for- former phone bank workers fired for advocating against ABA therapy, the disabled members that were ambushed inside their own space by an MPP when that was never investigated. Like I have all of these stories. They are endless. They are in books that I'm surrounded by. Some I can share their names, some we've shared on episodes. But like all of these things build up, right, to this huge case against the party and the people that run it. And the only thing that they can think to do is to come after me for some strongly worded tweets. I imagine their goal is to to remove my membership. Like, I, I, I just... um. I can't I can't really understand their end game. I think that's one thing that also keeps keeps getting me. But yeah, with, with everything that you just said, like that was actually kind of my, my first reaction when I heard about that this morning. I'm like, wow, really? Jessa knows where all the bodies are buried. Do they really want to <laughs> provoke her right now? Like because all of the dirt that you have on them is so exponentially greater than this everything that they tried to pin against you i mean like the amount of legitimate actual like documented issue like proof that you have against them and 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 the the audacity here to launch something against you i mean it it almost seems uncalculated jay well, I, I have a theory, but I also want to point something out that you left out of your story and only lightly touched on. I met you because I was on a mission to try and find a way to contact all the writing associations to have open communication. So let me get through this before you comment, because this is going to have like every possible trigger going forward. So we we met trying to connect people, connect members. And we did that to try and help coordinate and help boost each other and support each other. And then we started finding members who were sharing issues. And then we, we were hosting events to teach people how to take part, what to do, how best practices, let's share thoughts and a collective, a, a collective NDP resource. You horrible person, you. How dare you do this? But at the same time, while the party is sitting there 
viewing your organizing as horrible and investigating you, you've done nothing but connect people for years within the NDP. And it hasn't been to funnel people out of the NDP. It's how to exist in a safe way or try to make it safer and have the party not spend its time investigating members, but doing what you were doing. So I find it unbelievably telling. And again, the validation of them going after you for pointing out exactly what they are proving. And that's the interesting thing, is when they lash out, they're actually proving people right when they do. You saw it in the BC leadership stuff. You see it right now. You're, you're pulling out the realities. So to me, I ask, why now? Right? It's a pretty quiet time. Why you? Why because of my petition? <laughs> why would this situation exist? And the only thing I can think of is either they're afraid you're going to run or try to run and they know if they gave you any issues, there would be major backlash. Or two, they want to clean the slate before their big PR opportunity of a acclamation of their chosen candidate and any voice that is more influential and can overshadow the party must be removed. So I want to ask you, why do you think it's now? Why do you think it's these really petty things that when we talk about the petition, one of the issues they have with the petition is it used their name and it used an image that they created for for material. So it's not even things you have said. It's you have supported something that has images and words. So it's not even a valid thing against you. So why now and why you? I think... Part of telling my story at the beginning was to explain why me. I, I'm i not the only person that speaks out against the party, but I do air a lot of that dirty laundry that Santiago talks about. Like, I don't just complain about their policies. I'm not belittling the people that do that. That's legitimate, and I do that as well. Most of them suck. And... Uh, but I air their dirty laundry legit, you know. Um, I tell people exactly how they are manipulating the system, how their authoritarian control is destroying the party. I name names very specifically. A lot of people are hesitant to do that. So, And, like, I think it's connected to the new Demichat um, story that I left out, I think. That's a hard story for me to tell. I think I hold a lot of guilt for that work because I pulled people into the party. I encouraged people to stay longer than they should have, and they were incredibly hurt as a result. But I, you know, I've been forthcoming on what the experience is, but still, you know, um, New Democrat and why they thought it was a threat is, I think, key to this story as well. Because what I do, sometimes, I, I don't even know how I do it, but I seem to connect people. And 
in this space, in the new Demichat space, like Jay said, you know, I was approached by friends that wanted help boosting other friends, other writing associations, other great people. If you just know, like, all these EDAs, all these writing associations, they're run by such wonderful people, by such great activists, most of them. Like, people like you and I, like, doing whatever they can in their spare time to lift the party up because they think it'll change the world. They do. Their hopes are tied up in this party. And we initially just wanted to connect them. We were frustrated. Our Twitter accounts had no followers and we couldn't make news even in our own communities. So we thought we would start to boost everyone's signal. We would teach people how to use Twitter effectively. We would teach them how to run a writing association more effectively, uh, share our knowledge, share our resources, right? Like, so we didn't all have to repeat work. It's very practical at the beginning. But what it was was also a space for us to connect, and that's dangerous for the party for so many reasons. One, when we get together, we start sharing our stories, and then we realize this is not unique, and it is widespread, is systemic, and it needs to stop, right? When it happens to just you, isolated, you think it's you. It thinks it's your unique experience. Something you did made you unworthy to be a candidate, right? You actually, but then you hear like, no, they did that to everyone, Everyone that was really progressive, everyone like me. And that doesn't sit well with progressives. We get mad. Injustices make us mad. That space is full of a lot of neurodiverse, beautiful people, too. And we don't stop when something's wrong. And so the space morphed from a place to just connect to a place to really make waves in the party. It's how we mounted my presidential campaign really quickly with people I didn't even hardly know. It is how we pushed for a lot of big changes in the party, how we we supported some people that got onto executive that are still trying to do this fight. It was an emotional support system for a lot of people who had such big dreams to do things in the party and were just thrown aside like they will do me they are also attacked so it's not fair to just say thrown aside because that actually to me lessens what they actually do they attack you before they try and discard you first they try to intimidate you and when they run into a powerful force like you they then attack and then by then the, the whole outcome of all of this stuff is hopefully you just leave. And again, to punish you for spending the last few years connecting people, doing more work than any paid members of that staff, connecting more people, organizing more events, being a force for education and onboarding at a level that the party says they cannot do, and that is what you are being attacked for. Because as a result of doing that, like you said, you find these issues, you find people's personal stories, and you don't just ignore them, you care. This thing is hurting them. This person is hurting them. And that is what they are actually lashing out at. 
that and and they're they perceive you to have power and influence and it's because you are doing these horrible things like trying to help people like it's very important for me that people understand how many members are not a part of this party anymore who got these letters and 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 just for clarification because people are going to come at you oh it says confidential how dare you it's confidential because it has confidential information about the person the complaint is about or the investigation is about. So you have every right to make your personal complaint public. But there are people who get these letters and they'll answer those baiting questions. They will, it doesn't matter how you respond, they've already made the decision. So I, I want to ask. Do you think they have done this to get this response because they know you're not going to stand for an injustice like this to get you to go public with all of this and then try and use that as the final justification to finalize their attack on you? Yeah, I'm certain of that because anybody who knows me had to know 100% that that was just a taunt to tell me to keep this confidential because I have never kept anything that they've ever done to me confidential. It is not my style. One cannot campaign on transparency within the party and then try to defend themselves in the dark. They knew I would go public. And yeah, I they can use any, any fucking tweet that they want to kick me out of the party. But I went public so that everybody knows that this will be you next. And I, it's not like I'm naive either. I've seen a few people tweeting like, oh, I'm, I'm glad you've seen the light. Like, please, please go back and listen to some of these podcasts. When I was first approached to do this podcast, I had to think of like, first I was surprised anybody wanted to hear from me. Um, and then my first instinct was, well, what's my purpose now? Right not in the party. And it was the design of this show is to draw people out of electoral politics and onto the street. It's not a safe space for leftists. It's not. They will hurt you. They will waste our energy. They are dragging us down. They are trying to de-radicalize us and they're trying to stop us. And it's, they're doing it through this space. And I have been hitting the warning bells for a long time, and I think this particular attack on me allows me to finally validate all of that to, to folks in a real succinct way. I, I do love how they've laid out that letter because it almost goes through all of their lame, tired old tactics one by one. The anti-Semitic smear. They even included a, a claim that I'm racist because I come after Janelle Brady and Jagmeet Singh. But there is nobody in power who's ever been immune to my criticism, ever. There's been no pattern other than I have consistently gone after those in power and only those in power. Once you will get yourself, you come to the floor, you ask people to elect you to sit on the executive, you are fair game. If you are going to make bad decisions, if you are going to hurt the people around me, you are fair game. Nobody is hiding behind this volunteer bullshit that they try to do because you asked for power and you got it. And now you will face the consequences for it. And folks often ask me, like, why am I so hostile? Like, oh, you know, I, I cringe at some of your tactics and some of the language that you use is, you know, combative. 
I know Santiago was arguing with me earlier. It's like, I don't think they're that combative. Like, these are valid critiques. And, and, and the ones they've actually used are real. But sometimes I do get real feisty. But I hope folks understand when you've heard the amount of stories, and they're not stories, if you have heard that lived experience from the amount of people that I have sat on calls with to hear them pour their heart out the way that I kind of have tried in this episode, you get really mad. And when you've used every mechanism within the party, within their rule book, and seen them break all those same rules, you would be silly. I want to use other words, right? Like, you would be really, really silly to try to keep going at it the same way over and over and over again. So yeah, I decided a long time ago that the way I would interact with this with this party was front facing, fully public, fully transparent. And that is just not their style uh, for good reason, right? Because as we see, as more folks start to understand how this power structure works, this thing they've devoted a lot of their free time to, their money to, um, they're actually contributing to the problem. I want them to realize that at this point. And it took me a long time to get to that point. And I feel like maybe that might sound condescending, but anybody out there working on an NDP campaign, I don't even care if it's a star candidate. I know there's some great ones out there. If you are drawing in donations, you are absolutely supporting the destruction of the left at this point. Like I've laid the groundwork to explain that in episodes far beyond before these attacks on me personally, right? This is just proof that as I air this dirty laundry, their attempts to silence me are increasing. And I think I jumped on here this evening to make sure that everybody knew that I would not be silent about this. And I, <laughs> Sandiago talks about like knowing all of the dirt on the party. I mean, the amount of stories I share off camera is... Sometimes amusing for folks to hear. I know Santiago likes getting caught up. It makes him really angry. Uh, Jay wants to write a book. Um, but yeah, most of, more of these stories are definitely going to come out. Because um, if you thought I was going full full on before, I was not. Um, something was stopping me from burning the whole place down. But I don't know. People ask me what I want to come from this. Yeah. I I joke and say, like, you can burn my membership card, but... They don't have the right to do that. I don't want to be a member. I, like, I don't. I've already told them I have no interest. I just don't actually know how to go through the process of, like, re removing my my membership. Right? So I, I'm on the book somewhere because I get their stupid emails. But they can't continue to do this. Right? So there's some folks out there that are still propping up this party. As long as you keep doing that, they will keep doing this. And one day you're going to get sick of it and you're going to try to say something. And they will do this to you, and they will do it to your comrades, they'll do it to your riding association, and I bet you they already have. They've already probably wronged you in some way if you're any way involved with the party in a manner that gives any pushback. So if you're just sitting along for the ride and rubber stamping everything, you might not know what I'm talking about. Or maybe you do. Maybe you've been a part of the executive that's put this shit together, right? Because it's drawn from members, and I think that's the most maddening part. That you see these folks on social media and they're talking about all the same issues that we're talking about and they seem to want to change the world, but yet they are completely complicit 
in these abuses against members, in these violations of the Constitution, right? A denial of democracy. They 100% see this happening. And I'm not talking about paid staffers either, right? People are in a precarious job situation. I'm, I'm not going to go there. I'm talking about the elected executives that sit there and witness this and do nothing. So, I mean, I don't know what they're all thinking of this right now, but I, Jay, you're an executive. I mean, did you ever see your role would be to police other members? Like, is that what anybody gets into the ship for? I can tell you at the federal level, I did sneak in. I wasn't going to convention until just, like, minutes before cutoff, so they had no way to prepare for me to be there and run. Just like how you said that your campaign formed on the floor last minute and it did so well. And this is one of the reasons, or one of the avenues they can control it, is when they know who's running, they can figure out, oh, well, let's just do this. Or they don't actually go organize against you, but they will supply and support their chosen candidate for those positions, such as campaign managers for the role of president, such as campaign staff for a candidate for president. But I can tell you right now that <laughs> my first day on the executive, our first meeting, I, I fought to have Anne resign, the national director. So I think it was made very clear right away I was not a hyper-partisan friend of the the orange the orange crushing force of whoever these people are and i can tell you i have existed in every space i can and i mean every version of the ndp that exists i have gone to countless meetings i've gone to writing association meetings agms i've gone to councils caucus meetings in every province and territory and i can tell you the two connective things are the playbook they use and many of the people are the same people. No matter what province, no matter what level, these people are like a crew of party fixers, the go-to crew. And I want to say that, like you, you kind of touched on it, but as an executive who is not in favor and hyper-partisan, I am ignored. I've been, I, I tabled a motion to the executive, which was blocked and then voted down, saying that it was a matter for the policy committee. The policy committee, which is inactive, and I'm an acting co-chair and has now been taken over by the president and the national director, determined that, well, no, these policies already exist. You're just asking for them to apply to the disabled members. It got recommended to council, but I have to ask the people who rejected it to add it to the agenda for council, which I'm being ignored. I am stonewalled. I have no real resources to pull from from the party as an equity committee co-chair because they don't want to give me an inch. Anything I do good is actually somehow bad for them because I'm not a part of that crew. I know more about the deeper workings from former staff members, from store, former caucus members, from former presidents and council members and so on, who have been 
put through versions of what they're putting you through. But they are terrified to speak out because I want people to understand the implications of these things aren't this contained NDP game. This stuff can impact people's lives because, like you said, they were saying you're anti-worker. Well, unions have many members in the NDP. If they're all working under the impression that you're anti-worker, that hurts your career potential. That hurts your life. This, this shit isn't partisan games. It can destroy people's lives. So you talk about the respectability politics. Fuck every single one of the people doing this and everyone who allows this to happen. And anyone who is sitting there with a copy of one of these letters in their, in their inbox... I would suggest maybe you consider sharing that so everyone can see the depth to which they will go. But if they ever asked me to spend time working against the members that I have spent countless hours and, and so much time, effort, mental and physical, emotional capacity on to help this party, I, I'd find a way to contact a lawyer like... That's the thing I want. I want to ask you this because I kind of went on a, a rant, but when you know of how many members have been hurt in this way, versus how many members have absolutely treated you like pure garbage because you've called it out, and then you get into between them and it's just you and the party and they're coming at you. I, I'm sorry, you can like edit this out if you don't want it asked, but the mental toll, not just of this incident, but the totality of everything that you've talked about here, do you think that will ever heal? Do you think it will ever not creep up on you when an election comes and you want to take part, but then this party has hurt you so bad? Like... I don't know how to end that question. Sorry. Yeah. Well, someone asked me today, you know, whether I was involved in the provincial election that just went in Ontario, a real critical one. And I wasn't. Not one minute. I wouldn't even retweet folks, uh, except Drew. <laughs> Drew Thompson. Um, friends asked me to, to promote his campaign, and so I would. Um but no, I absolutely not in any good conscience, not in any good conscience right now, advocate for any wing of the NDP. No. Especially looking to BC, they are not a solution. We need to get into the streets and pressure whoever's in power to do what they need to do the way we should have done with the general strike. And that is the only means, right? Disruption is the only means now, for sure. Anybody who's seen the inside of the NDP has to know that. The mental toll. Ah, oh, shit. That's tricky. I'll tell you, I think a lot of the weight that I carry isn't from the people who've attacked me. It's actually from my supporters. Because the position I've put myself in for the last few years has to been the front line. And I've acted as a shield in a way. I've taken a lot of hits for doing what I do, for criticizing the party and for telling other people's stories. 
Sometimes I don't give their names, so I... And I've taken a lot of hits. And I seem, like, really strong, I think, because I don't tweet about my breakdowns on Twitter. But it is hard. You know, it is hard being attacked from the inside, that... But I think I'm so used to that now. They have gotten me so steeled against that. I'm prepared for them. They don't scare me anymore. But I feel that weight of all those stories that I've heard. And that's why I stayed. I needed to fight for them. I needed to get justice for those people, for myself too. I've already been harmed by the party many times. I needed to reclaim the NDP for the left, for the people it was always meant for, the grassroots. And I feel them looking to me, you know? I felt them, their hopes. Like Santiago talked about convention and before we started recording, and that was hard for me to hear. You know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but Santiago talked about what it felt like when the left kind of came together around that convention. I spent a lot of efforts um, talking to all the socialist groups, trying to come to an agreement, trying to get them to trust me, to represent them on the floor so there would be no other competition, that we wouldn't divide the left. We did that. We did that. We had one presidential candidate and everyone was working to do that. And I felt that weight for a long time. Like I should have done something with. (sighs) But at some point I had to cut and run from this party for my own mental health. And they've still come out to find me and to hurt me. Even though I tried to distance myself from their spaces so that it wouldn't, so they could get me. And I really feel like, no, check that. I don't feel like I've failed in my mission to unite the left in Canada. I know I don't take this task on myself, but it is my life's goal. (laughs) It's part of building towards a political revolution. And I believe that I belong in that revolution. But I feel like I just can't find them justice in that party, that those folks are going to continue to get away with what they do. And I made no real ends. I I made no real inroads there. The same people that have hurt us are still in power. They're still using their same old tricks. They're still hurting people, blowing elections and erasing people and communities. So that's where the mental toll really comes from I think but that's why this show is so great and having comrades like you folks are so great because it allows us to refocus on what's next like a new party or grassroots movements that are issues issue based that are are more uniting than partisan politics can be so I draw hope from there and purpose and you know, I hope, again, like sharing my story here and the all the episodes that we've done to just really explain exactly how the NDP works, I can redeem myself in in trying to make it so nobody else enters those spaces, at least unprepared or unwarned, 
and those that are in them know that they're not alone in their frustrations and they don't have to stay. I hope that answered your question. (laughs) I'm going to ask another one, but I'm going to give you the opportunity because I think this might pull on some deep emotion too. What hurts more? The attacks that you're getting from these people or the support you get in the shadows? Mm. Yeah, so what Jay's talking about is whenever I feel heat, whenever I'm in the spotlight, I have public support and I have private messages of support. So folks that know what, what is happening is wrong, And they will reach out to make sure I'm doing okay, to tell me that this is bullshit. But they don't do it publicly. And quite often it's those closest to power, those with something to lose politically. And nah, those folks don't hurt me so much. I'm disappointed in them. Uh, I guess part of me, maybe it's being neurodivergent or just me, like, I remember, I file that away. I know who I can trust to be courageous and who will be looking after themselves, ultimately. And so I play accordingly. That's all. But it is incredibly, I know it It, it bothers you a lot. It, it does bother me because we're all supposed to be activists in the NDP, really, right? That's how I see it. And I don't understand how people can just stop being activists and stop being progressive just because the people doing the oppressive behavior wear orange. And so, um, but that completely just shapes what I think of their character, to be honest, because I've seen people risk it all in political spaces and I've people be seen be complete cowards. Um, so yeah, I guess it takes all stripes, but I get anxious Right. Like, and I I shake with rage when I'm attacked, but they actually don't really hurt me so much anymore. Um, Those individuals, the fact that the system seems to kind of be unloading on me, (laughs) that weighs a lot. We fight on. (laughs) And um, yeah, I think Obviously, I'll probably have more to say on this as we go through, and and I don't really know how this is all going to shape up. I mean, in a perfect world, I think I'm owed an apology that I'll never get. A lot of people are owed apologies that they will never get from that party. I would really love if they would stop harassing me. I don't want anything to do with their party, and they have no right to be going through my tweets and trying to call me accountable to my critiques. I owe them nothing, not confidentiality, not support, nothing. So I hope that wasn't too emotional. I think it probably was, but yeah, I just thought it was super important for me, probably for me personally to get this out. It's been therapeutic to sit with you folks. I know I mostly maybe had my eyes closed and not really looking at you, but I know you two are there and um, it makes sharing this a little easier, even though you made me cry, Jay. But <laughs> um, yeah, I hope this does make people feel a little bit uncomfortable and they start to question if they hadn't already. And I want to thank the people who have supported me. 
You have no idea what that means when you're under attack to see folks you've never met vouch for you and defend you. I know it because I've defended every person I've ever met that was wronged. It's just part of what I do. Um, but when people do it for you, it really, it really matters. It really does. Every email I saw that was in support, every tweet that from folks that I know don't agree with me politically all the time, but understand that this is wrong, that really matters. Uh, folks who don't think that their support matters inside the NDP, that their complaint about this wouldn't matter. It matters to me. It matters to me that you spoke up. So I thank you. At the start of this show, it opens with the chance of this is what democracy looks like. And I think I want to add a, a mention of the fact that what you've endured, what you've gone through, the amount of time, effort, and emotion that you've given countless other people trying to help them and protect them and fight with them, this is what solidarity looks like, should be what your opening is. Because you are the physical embodiment of solidarity, and you have been nothing but attacked for it. I appreciate that, Jay. You know, there's some ways to describe me that I know are accurate and not very flattering. But having a principled stand and being someone who understands and displays solidarity, I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you feel that way about me. That's important. <laughs> it's something I want to instill in my children. Santiago, you got to make her cry before we leave or else I'll feel bad. I have so many thoughts right now that it's it's really difficult for me to work through it all. Um, but right now, the level of anger I feel, and and it's it's a familiar anger because I, I I'm I haven't I haven't I haven't been in this long, you know. Um, I'm I'm 23. Um, I haven't been in this fight a long time, but the amount of times I have seen this happen over and over and over and over again, this is it's it's what they wanted. They want you to give up. They want you to lose hope, and that and that's what it leads you to a lot is to to losing hope because you see how difficult it is. You see how 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 it's stacked against you. But no, that's that's not what's going to happen here. I refuse to give in to the cynicism and I refuse to, to stand by and watch this continue to happen to people, to so many good people who all they're trying to do is 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 try and fight selflessly to try and make the world a little fucking bit better for other people and, and to see this happen. And I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, it wasn't very long ago that we were talking about the injustices that were happening against Anjali's campaign and BCNDP. And before that, all the injustices that have happened to so many people who have been expelled and who have been prevented from running, who, who, I mean, it's such a fucking difficult thing to put yourself in that position too. I mean, to, 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 to expose yourself out there, to expose yourself to the public, it's 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 a very fucking difficult thing to do and the NDP makes that infinitely more difficult because I mean you expect when you make those kinds of decisions you expect it to be you expect the attacks to come 
from the other side politically, you know. You expect it to come from the right. You expect to have to fight the right. You expect to have to fight the fucking liberal party. You don't expect to have to fight with the people who are supposed to be helping you and to be on your side. That's not what anybody expects going into this. And it's not fair. It's not fair. It shouldn't be this fucking hard. So, I mean, I beg people to please... Don't put yourself through that. Not not in this space. Not in the NDP. They don't fucking deserve your compassion. They don't deserve your kindness, your dedication, your selflessness. They don't deserve that. And you, and you don't deserve going through that. That's a message for for everybody. And there are ways outside of it to do it and and there'll be so much more to come about that and we're going to be here talking about that and exploring those options and finding ways because the fight is anything but fucking over we're not rolling over we're not lying down we're not going away but it's not here it's not in the ndp and there's no doubt about that i mean look what they did to Anjali, right like there's no doubt that they will do anything and everything to stop you Nah, it's over in the NDP, but it's not over. I don't know. I uh, it's no, it's far. No, please, my thoughts are a mess. I have no idea what I'm even saying anymore. No, it's I'm smiling because, you know, when we're talking about what did they think they were starting with me, you know, um, but maybe they don't realize the fire they started in Santiago. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Santiago, I think, because uh, not that he needed it, but been re-radicalized um, <laughs> against partisan politics as a result. It's actually a bright spot for me, not only because it reaffirms what I know about you as you are a good comrade and you um, you have stood by me more than once, but that Hopefully this has this impact on other people that they it's not a matter of losing hope because perhaps the one avenue they had chosen to spend their time in to change the world has betrayed them or, you know, they are disillusioned, properly disillusioned with it, but that they find their fight back and will understand how much more effective and free they are when they don't have to worry about a party monitoring their Twitter account, amongst many other things. So I'm glad to see you frazzle-dazzled, you know? Um, <laughs> that means you're mad, and I think most people should be mad. And I've gone through a whole range of emotions, I think, just here in this episode, but all day long. And <laughs> I really hope this is the last time that I have to face this kind of trash from that party because I am done. <laughs> I feel like, do you end there? <laughs> like, it seemed kind of negative, but... <laughs> it's allowed to be negative. May May I say something that I don't know if I... I don't know if I tagged you in these emails and I'm going to brace you because this is going to be a horrible way... For, for me to end my part in this 
but I recently sent an email to a large amount of MPs, MLAs, MPPs, executives, staffers, and directors talking about how I reached a certain milestone in this party that not only exemplifies the true repercussions of the way things are done, but the human toll this takes. I have had a total of 40 members who I have either had their final communication telling me there's no hope or family members when I reach out to see if they're okay because they were really excited to be at that next committee meeting or that next event I was hosting and they weren't there and then I have that conversation with a family member telling me that the last hope they felt they had was in this party and there are members who don't care too much about the party because that's what the party does to people but the community the, the family that you build within the party, some of these amazing members, like you two, not that you're necessarily members, but the connections you make to leave that, to be forced out of that, is where a lot of these emails stem from. And I sit at meetings and events and council and convention and I don't see their Zoom box. And I know where their voice would be. I know what things they would be talking about and fighting for. And I know what things led them to not be there. And I've met so many people who say, well, that's just politics. And this is people's lives. It's their mental health. It's their physical health. It's their lives. And I want people to understand that that is what the NDP says it stands for. That's what you as members say you are doing all of this work for. But look what you're allowing to happen internally, and it is finally brought out into the public by Jessa making this move to pull transparency from the shadow. I think some folks still truly believe that party, internal party matters belong behind closed doors, that the media will always attack us, grab these stories and use them against us. And that means we're propping up the PCs or the liberals or whoever we're uh, focused on at the time. Um, the truth is the media will always print garbage stories about us. Um, they're owned by capital. That's their job. So I don't know. I think that's just like hopefully falling a little bit more flat with folks now. Because we've seen the only time the party has ever moved on anything is when public complaints were made, when public noise was made. Nothing has ever really been accomplished in the private, behind closed doors, in personal emails back and forth within the party. So that is a wrap on another episode of Blueprints of Disruption. Thank you for joining us. Also, a very big thank you to the producer of our show, Santiago Halu Quintero. Blueprints of Disruption is an independent production operated cooperatively. You can follow us on Twitter at BP of Disruption. If you'd like to help us continue disrupting the status quo, please share our content. And if you have the means, consider becoming a patron. Not only does our support come from the progressive community, so does our content. So reach out to us and let us know what or who we should be amplifying. 
So until next time, keep disrupting.